This morning I'd like to bring a short exhortation from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15 and hear the word of God. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That is, they have, this family in Achaia had devoted themselves, or dedicated, or committed themselves, or regimented their whole lives like military men to the ministry of the saints. That's what the word means. Addicted themselves means they disciplined themselves or had committed themselves, regimented their lives. It was a regimentation. I've not been in their armed forces, but I'm guessing my brothers who have can say where there's a regimentation that just centers around the military, when you're in the military. So this, uh, this word means that this family had centered themselves or regimented themselves around the ministry of the church. And this instructs us very much on what we should do. Now, the second verse there, verse 16, says that you also submit to such. That is, that they have set the example, and so submit yourselves to those who have already done this. So if there are some in the church who have, you look around and you see, wow, they have really committed themselves to this church. Uh, You need to submit yourself to them. So that's basically what this verse tells us. Families, individuals should center themselves, center their lives around the church. Because those who are believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus, we center our lives not around our jobs or not around the school or not around our hobbies. I think most of the time people center their lives around hobbies. Uh, but not around the television set and not around entertainment, but... Uh, If you're a Christian, you're to center your life around the church. And and why is that? Well, it's because this is our identity. This this is who we are. We are in Christ. We are in the vine. So so what defines us turns out to be the, the, the fact that we are part of the body of Christ. We are plugged into Jesus we are part of the one loaf or the olive tree or the vine. And so that's it. That's who we are. That defines us. Our baptism is a brand or a tattoo on us. And, uh, and so there's nothing that defines us more than our baptism and our incorporation into the body of Christ. We've been baptized into the body of Christ. And so this is defining of who we are. And this, there are a number of verses, probably 10, 15 verses on family life in the New Testament uh, there are 10, 15 verses on work life, but there are thousands of verses uh, of how we are to belong to the church. So how important is the church? Well, in the final judgment, the Son of God is concerned with one thing about you and me. And uh, so we remember this in Matthew 25. These are some of the most important verses that identify you know, who we are and how we live our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Matthew 25, the king comes to the sheep, you remember there, 
and there's sheep and the goats, and he talks to the sheep on his right hand, says, Come you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And then verse 40, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, let me ask you this. Does this make any sense that Jesus should be so concerned about this? Does it make any sense that Jesus would be concerned about his body? Or that Jesus would be concerned about his bride? Does that make any sense to you? Like, just commonsensically, is, is, is Jesus right to be concerned about his body or about his bride? So, so that now becomes the center of Jesus' concern. And, and his concern for us as well. So what Jesus is saying here, I think in Matthew 25 at the final judgment, is he looks at the goats and he asks them a question, do you love me? Same question he asked John, right? Or, sorry, Peter. Do you love me? And, and he's asking that of the sheep and he's asking that of the goats. Do you love me? Do you love me? That's, that's really the central question, is uh, do we love Jesus? Did you get my commandment? Now, he gave a commandment a number of times and repeated it over and over again in his ministry. If you love me, keep my commandments. But more than that, you should love one another as I have loved you. So the question, of course, is, is how have we been loved? And I think that's really what it comes down to. Is, is our loves. What is it that you love? What is it that I love? I woke up with this question this morning as well. That first of all, that, uh, that we have been loved. That you've been loved by an infinite love. And, and now, to be loved by the infinite love of the Heavenly Father, or to be loved by the love of Jesus, is to be loved by an infinite love. And so the question for all of us is, did you receive that? Are you loved? And if you're loved by the Father, then you will love Him too. There's there's a reciprocity that occurs in this love. I, I, I love these, my brothers, and I died for these brothers, Jesus says. And now He says, will you now love them as I have loved you? Will you, will you give up your life for them too? That's the question He's asking. So, now what is the vision for our church or for any church? And I've come back to this again uh, this last week because it's, you know, our desire to, to be effective in our preaching ministry, to be effective in our teaching and the things that we do as a body, even our outreach and such. But, but really the greatest of these is love. Though we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and, and though we have the right doctrine in this church, we know all mysteries and all knowledge. And though we have the most amazing preaching in this body, and have not love, we are nothing. We are nothing. This is primary. And I'm faced with this again and again as, as one who has really not loved very well 
we are so committed to, to the right truth. We are committed to right instruction. And, and we focus upon that in this body. We provide plenty of it. The question is, do we have the highest gift of all in this body? So seek the highest gifts Brothers and sisters, what is love? It's not necessarily just giving your body to be burned and it's not just giving up all of your materials all at once. But ultimately, love is to be patient, to be kind, to be forgiving of others. But not just a single forgiveness, but love kicks in typically on the 40th forgiveness. Love kicks in as love endures all things in the forgivenesses and we don't walk away, but we come back. See, love doesn't show up on the first forgiveness. Love shows up on the 30th or the 40th or the 60th or the 80th. Love does not give up. Love bears all things, believes all things. Love keeps pressing forward. Love doesn't write a single check. Love writes 75 checks over the next seven years for a poor brother or sister in this body. Love endures in its check writing. Love, love, love lays down its body on the altar, but stays on the altar. That's the point. That's the definition of love. That's where we actually have love in this body. Do we have love here? Is there love here? You see, this is our number one desire, amen? I mean, this is what we want more than anything else, to, to love the body. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus' family shows up. Family is important, yes, but Jesus said, uh, oh, those are not my mother and my brothers. These are my mother and my brothers. Uh, that is the disciples and those that were part of his body. And so, so a family is second. The body is first. The disciples are, are number one for Jesus and the same thing for us. The, the object of our love is Jesus. That's the proximate love. Now, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love Jesus most of all. And to love Jesus says, Jesus says, you must love my brothers as well. So, so everything centers around the thing that you love. Now, historically, the church, where the church gathered, was the center of the village over a thousand years, the church was the center of life a long time ago in the Christian era. Now the school is the center of the village, whether it be the public school or the private school. The school is the center now. In, in the present day, the church is not the center of people's lives. Now the state is the center, or the state buildings are in the center of the village or more likely, YouTube is at the center of the village. That is isolation. I am in the center of the village. That's where things are today. Uh, but uh, we are to dedicate ourselves to the ministry, the service of the body of Christ, whether we are households or singles. That's 1 Corinthians 7. So as believers, as followers of Jesus, who love Jesus, want to reach out and touch the body of Jesus, uh, we come to here to find the body of Christ, and to minister to the body of Christ. Now, this verse is somewhat of a non-starter today, and I'll tell you a simple couple reasons why. is because, well, number one, there's a devaluation of Jesus and a devaluation of the body of Christ. A brother from Central America called me this week, or we were in conversation, and he told me that they've been attending a church for about five years. He said the extraordinary thing is the church was very loving when they arrived five years ago, but now they've discovered that there are all these sinners in the church. 
and they can see all the warts, and there's problems with the teachings, and there's problems with this or that, and they're considering leaving the church. But then he said, I'm wondering if perhaps we should just love the church and start forgiving people, and love might cover a multitude of faults. So, so that's what he was, he was kind of intention on this issue, whether they should leave the church or whether love should just cover the multitude of faults in the body. Again, huge tests that occur as to whether there is love at all in our hearts, whether there is any love at all that would forgive our brother or sister for 490 times or not. That is really the question, isn't it? Now, there's a symbiosis as well between the health of the family and uh, individuals that make up the church and the relative health of the church. So we all have our vested interest in the health of the body of Christ. That, that's important for all of us as individuals. Now, let me put it to you this way. If you are a thumb on the body, children, if you're a thumb on the body, but you have no interest in the lungs, the kidneys, the heart, or the stomach, uh, that would be a problem because, you see, it's the heart that pumps the blood into the fingers, and your fingers would go numb if it wasn't for the ministry of the heart to the, to the fingers. And so if the thumb is not interested in the health of the heart or the lungs or the other parts of the body, uh, the thumb is stupid. The thumb is extremely stupid. And the same thing applies uh, to the church. Uh, we are all members of this church, but if we're not interested in the, the health of the body, then you're not interested in the health of the body of Christ, and that's not good at all. Spiritual anemia in the members is spiritual anemia in the church. Where individuals are not revived in the church, the church will not be revived. And where the church is not revived, the individuals will not be revived. You take a church to say 30 members. If 20 members are exceedingly spiritually anemic and they fail to pray for the body and they, engage, they fail to engage in the one another's or to exhort one another daily, they fail to admonish one another in hymns and spiritual songs every day and fail to strive to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, then, of course, the death knell to that church is already sounding. There's no way that the ten remaining people will salvage the church. Rather, the ten are usually affected by the other twenty. So in order to be uh, in the church, you must be all in to the church. You must have a vested interest in the health of your brothers and sisters in the church. Does that make sense? If you're part of a body, of course, there, we must lean in one to another. So we're going to be ex extremely countercultural with this, of course, but for a healthy church, we can't get by with just 4% of the body really engaging the one another's. We need closer to 60% of the body actively engaging the one another's. So if we want a healthy body that's growing, then let's lean in. Let's build the body, love the body, care for the body, pray for the body, and addict yourself to the ministry of the body of the church. Now, some have a hard time identifying things they can do uh, for the church. Like, what would we be, if, what we do if we were the household of Stephanus? If, if you were, you know, wanting to dedicate yourself to the church, you can't live your life as a soccer mom. You can't be a two-income family as the world does it, uh, at least as the world does it. You can't be an entertainment-soaked family as the world does it. Uh, when you get the Jesus vision for your life, it's going to realign all the, the priorities of your life you'll begin to take the church seriously instead of embracing the socialist state. And, and, of course, that's going to be somewhat controversial. But you're also going to have to apply love. You can't buy love in the institutionalized world. You can't pay for love in a daycare, and you can't pay for love in the church caring for widows. So what would you do if you were to addict yourself to the ministry of the saints? Well, plenty of ideas. Watching children with special needs for a, a day or a few days 
give their parents a break, helping young mothers with three children under six years of age, providing hospitality to strangers within the wider body as you participate uh, in that ministry, the, the love of strangers. You could pray, and I think dedicating about 30 minutes a day to praying for the church would really do an amazing thing in this body. I think we would have a virtual revival if we had a handful of people who would pray 30 days, uh, 30 minutes a day for the church, the prayer life of the church, the major determinant as to its own health. Um, helping the persecuted church and the suffering church around the world, striving for unity in the body and, and unity with other pastors in this valley. We want to apply a certain amount of time to that. Uh, working out conflicts in our own body, driving over to our brother's house instead of texting him. That would take an extra hour of your life. Spending more time uh, taking him out for lunch, especially if you feel the relationship has grown distant and you have to work uh, a little bit to, to foster those relationships. Again, don't despise the body of Jesus Christ. Take good care of it. Uh, take uh, turns on the seven 24-hour care when it comes to baby Charlie instead of turning that over to the state. Uh, we're thankful for those that did that with baby Charlie and for my mother-in-law when we had the 724 obligation where we didn't turn her over to the state, but we took uh, care of her ourselves. Uh, again, um, uh, here's another one. Get ready to dedicate a portion of your home to elderly care. The widows in the church are to be taken care of uh, as Social Security busts in roughly the year 2032. Um, now, our homes also should be open to the single moms, the widows and orphans, and uh, also a tremendous amount of volunteer help is needed to address the education juggernaut, weaning ourselves from the state in the area of education. And if the church is not involved with it, especially in helping out the single moms, we're not going to be able to displace the socialist systems. But brothers and sisters, let me end with this, that, uh, that if the gospel is going to prevail in our homes, in our church, we need to see the love of God shining in each of our lives. None of this is possible. Uh, we can't have these forms of relationship to displace the social estate. If there's no humility, if there's no love, there's no forgiveness, if there's no conflict resolution, that's really rooted in love for Jesus and love for his body. Uh, we simply cannot be the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century if there is no love. Instead, we are just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. And uh, so all of our preaching against socialism and all our, uh, our encouragements to everybody to displace the derelationalized lifestyle of the modern age, totally useless if there's no love uh, one for another. What we need is a voluntary, self-sacrificing love uh, because uh, we have been loved and we have come to the point at which we love to love. Uh, we want to love. We call out to God for more love in our hearts. We see this as the love, a gift to be coveted more than anything else. And to the extent that we've seen that, you know, we don't have the most love in our own lives. We don't walk up to the brother. Uh, we don't restore the relationship as quickly as we ought to. To the extent that we know that there isn't a lot of love, a fair amount of self-centeredness in our lives, let's pray to God that he would restore love this is the greatest gift of all. Would that we be a loving church. Amen? It's more than anything else, we so desire love. Lord God, give us love more than anything else. We pray for love this day, that, uh, that we understand your love for us, and, uh, and we respond in love for Jesus, and that this really be manifested in real ways, such that uh, we have a love that, uh, that really does endure all things and does embrace the body of Christ and take good care of the least of these, our Lord's brothers. Amen.
Amen. Now let's take a moment and confess our sins before the Lord, and we encourage you to a humble posture. And you know, even as we bring this, I know many of you feel that we have fallen short of all of this. Yes, we do. And that's why we just ask God for His mercy and His forgiveness and His salvation again in Jesus, because Jesus has come to save us and to forgive our sins. So let's uh, pray this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we confess to you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Not only in outward transgressions, but also in secret thoughts and desires. For this reason, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we can delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen.